Today with Catherine Ruinala. Are you ready for the Word of God? Well, I've been doing a walk through the wisdom books um, recently and I have been so enjoying it because I really felt there was a prophetic invitation uh, for wisdom that the Lord was inviting us, like it says in Proverbs, to come and eat and dine at the table of wisdom. And we, so I've been intentionally digging into the wisdom books. I've been intentionally responding to, to the invitation that I believe the Holy Spirit has given us in Isaiah 22, 22, which is the key of David. And as I read through, as I read through the book of Psalms, the key of David became so clear to me. David's life was remarkable. There really were, looking through all of the kings, there are a lot of bad kings, and there are about three that real standouts. And that was David, Hezekiah, and Josiah. But David, God has a thing about David. The key of David, what was it about David's life. The key of David opens doors no one can shut, closes doors no one can open. It is authority. It is favor. This incredible favor that God had for a very flawed man who made some terrible, terrible mistakes. I mean, sin, bad sin, adultery, murder, bad, but who maintained a heart that was responsive and repentant and and knew from the beginning that he needed God and he never lost that revelation that I need God. And I believe the key of David came is all about the intimacy that David had with the Lord. We start off, David has this magnificent relationship with the Lord that's developed as a young boy looking after the sheep in the wilderness. He would sing to the Lord. He would talk to the Lord. He, he fought a lion and a bear in the power of God to protect his little flock that he had. And, and he, he developed a relationship where he knew God. And Psalm 27, which is one of my favorite psalms here, is just so beautiful. I'll start at the beginning because it's delightful. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Ah, one thing. And from the beginning to the end, David maintained a soft heart, a humble heart that recognized you are my beginning and the end. You are everything. And as I've walked through the wisdom books and I've discovered this, really, there's this consistent theme of the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And fear isn't like, oh, he's a scary bad God. That's, sometimes people get nervous when you talk about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is this revelation, you are God. You are God. You are God. This is who I'm talking to. God. 
holy, magnificent, the one who's the alpha and the omega, the one who is the creator of all things, God. Job has this, when you've got to read through all, all the way through Job. I was talking to Josiah about Job and Ecclesiastes are sort of the two slightly more difficult books in the, in the wisdom books. But you, you really have to read the end to understand the beginning of those two books. And the end of Job is God speaks. After everyone said all the things that they think are clever, then God speaks and everyone goes, oh, I don't know anything. At the end of Ecclesiastes, after what seems like an old man going through and just depressed, saying everything's meaningless, he's tried everything, extremes of of riches, of women, of wine, and everything's meaningless if you don't have God. And at the end, he just says, this is what I've learned in conclusion, fear God and obey him. And all the way through these wisdom books, this seems to be the recurring theme that, hey, remember your maker, remember who he is and remember the connection that you've been called to have in him and don't get presumptuous. And David, I believe, he learnt this. He learnt what it looked like to rely on the Lord, to walk in relationship. He had a heart after God, it is said of him. I have a relationship with you. And he would ask the Lord about everything. He'd ask, will I go up against this? this? Will I do this? And he didn't assume then the next time because it was a yes last time. He didn't assume it would be an, a yes next time. He'd ask every situation he'd ask because he learned from a young age, I am dependent on God. In him, I live and move and have my being. Hallelujah. And that's the desire that God has for each one of us, that we would, when things are good and when things are bad, that we would maintain this revelation, I am in need of you. That we'd never become like the Laodiceans where they say, well, I'm rich and full and have need of nothing and not even realize they're wretched, poor, miserable, blind and naked but recognize their need for God. We never get to a place of complacency where we think, yeah, that's nice, got my ticket to heaven and I'm just going to rest. But to actually continually fight for that connection with him. We know he'll never leave us or forsake us, but God wants us to go after him. And I've been hearing this song going through my head. It's a Jen Johnson song. Hold on, don't let go. Hold on, don't let go. Just take one step closer. Put one foot in front of the other. You'll get through this. Just follow the light in the darkness. You're gonna be okay. And I've heard the Lord singing this to me all week. So interesting. And I believe the Lord is saying, hold on. Hold on through the good and through the bad. Hold on. Remember one thing. One thing is all that really matters. When Mary was at the feet of Jesus and Martha was complaining about her, Jesus said, she has chosen the better thing. One thing I have desired, that I may behold his beauty, that I may sit at his feet, that I may dwell in his temple to gaze on him. When we remember like the wisdom tells us that without him, nothing 
nothing has any meaning, that he is the beginning and the end. He is everything our soul longs and craves for. As we remember that, then we will pursue connection with him intentionally. And in that connection, we will be continually reminded of the majesty of God, of the bigness and the glory of God. We'll be reminded of his kindness and love. We'll be reminded of his character. We'll live in a place of holy awe, reverential fear and glorious love, a place of humility that says, oh God, you are God. I was thinking this morning as I was just taking communion with the Lord, and I like to do that in the morning before I go out to the kitchen and see everybody, I like to get up I like to talk to the Lord on the, on, the, on the bed first and just say good morning. And then I get up and I take communion with him. And I was thinking about the pearl of great price. The, the landowner who, oh, I mean, the, the, the merchant that went and, and bought a whole field just so he could have the, the treasure in the field. And Jesus, actually, he did that. He gave up everything just to get the treasure, which was us. And he asks us to give up, to give up all that would try and take our attention for the pearl of great price, which is him. And that doesn't mean that we don't, can't enjoy, happily enjoy the blessings of God, but the blessings of God were never meant to distract us from the one thing. Some people have got confused about this. They've thought, well, I have to give away everything, I have to live in poverty, in rags, in order to, to prove my loyalty to God. But God's not looking for that. He says, I, actually, I, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. I'm looking for your heart. And when I have your heart, as you delight yourself in me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. It's my good pleasure to give you everything because you aren't going to be distracted by this stuff because you are keeping at the very center that which is most important the Holy One, Jesus. So anyway, as we're looking at these different kings, I, I mentioned on Friday night we were talking about two kings, Hezekiah and his son Manasseh. And I want to just have a little further look at that today. Hezekiah is known as one of the great kings of Judah. And he did amazing things, did so well, loved God. He stood up against the intimidation of the Assyrian army. He won victories. He walked in righteousness. And he, he was a really good king. He led the Israelites uh, in following God. But then he got very sick to the point that he was going to die. And Isaiah came and said, you're going to die. Set your house in order. And Hezekiah just turned to the wall, which is for me a picture of what it looks like when you go and you close the door and you get alone with God. I don't want to look at anything else. I don't, I just, I've got to talk to you, God. I know who you are. God, I'm asking you. I, I know who you are. And as I cry out to you, I know you'll have mercy on me. And he, he cried out for mercy. And as Isaiah is leaving the palace, the Lord says to Isaiah, hey, go back and tell him. 
I want to give him 15 more years. I'm going to look after the nation. I'm going to keep them safe. And, and he gave him a sign, a supernatural sign with it. Just amazing. Hezekiah knew the character of God and he put his faith in God saying, I, I know who you are. And rather than just accepting it, he, he went to war. It's a bit like Abraham. Rather than just accepting, oh, you're going to you know, um, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he began to wrestle with the character of God going, I know who you are. You wouldn't, you wouldn't sweep away the righteous with the, with the unjust. And God likes it when we go to war with the character of God, when we know what he's like. He, it's often that we are invited. When circumstance comes, it's an opportunity for us to remember who God is and to begin to go to prayer. Hallelujah. If you hear a warning prophetic word, rather than just going, oh, that's bad, I better go and stock up the fridge. <laughs> it's a time to pray. When God gives a word, don't go, oh, that's terrible. See, see how I can look after myself. Go, no, I'm going to pray that that doesn't happen. We have biblical precedence in this. And this is what Hezekiah did. It was wonderful. But sadly, um, after that, Hezekiah got proud. And um, it, we'll pick it up here in 2 Chronicles verse, uh, of chapter 32, verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill and he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign. You can read about that in more detail in 2 Kings. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud. And sadly, after he got this wonderful promise from God, he then, he just got complacent and he got proud. And so he got into presumptuous sin. What happened is the Lord decided to test his heart. And I think when you read that, you can know God's not curious to find out what he's like. He already knows and wants him to know so that he can have an opportunity to repent. And he gave him a test and he brought these um, envoys to the city and Hezekiah just started showing off and showed them, oh, I'm so great. See everything I've got, showed him all the treasures, see how great I am. And Isaiah came back and went, Hezekiah, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is terrible. The Lord says now that those ones that came and you just showed off everything to, they're going to come and they're going to take everything away from you. But it won't happen in your lifetime. It'll happen in your son's lifetime. And, um, but this was the response that Hezekiah had. Hallelujah. We'll go back to um, chapter 20 of 2 Kings. Verse 18 says this, Some of your sons who issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you've spoken is good. For he thought, Is it not so if there will be peace and truth in my days? Basically, he said, Oh, well, at least it's not going to happen to me. And instead of responding like he did to the first prophetic word with prayer and repentance, I believe what the Lord was hoping for is Hezekiah to go, oh, that was really wrong. I was stupid. That was terrible. I was proud. God, I'm sorry. Have mercy on me. Spare my son. Spare, forgive me. But there's no, there's no mention of his repentance. There's no mention of humility. There's no mention of prayer there. He's just like, oh, well, 
Lucky me. Not going to happen to me at least. And a really good king ended sadly. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to end well. Hallelujah. It's not so much about what we've done, about, but what about what we're going to do next that matters. God is looking for us to be careful, not to get complacent, not to get proud. And then so the next thing, his son Manasseh becomes king. And Manasseh is just one of the worst kings Judah's ever had. Worst, bad, really bad. Sorcery, going and sacrificing his own sons to idols, burning them alive, bringing the whole nation into idolatry and witchcraft and sorcery, erecting idols in the temple of the Lord. Just incredible abomination. Wicked, bad, bad, evil, bad, 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 with a capital B, bad, really bad. Evil. I think that's about the only word that they haven't hasn't got two meanings in today's society. You can say something's wicked or bad, and that's like it's good. But no, this is bad, really bad, evil, bad. And um, and Manasseh, he the Lord even warns him after years and years of abominations. The Lord says, Manasseh, stop doing bad stuff. It's not going to lead anywhere good. There's only bad stuff going to come of doing bad stuff. And Manasseh goes, I like being bad. And he just continues to be wicked. And so the prophecy given to Hezekiah comes to pass. The Babylonians come and they put hooks in him and lead him and the other sons away into captivity in Babylon. We can pick it up here in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Oh, let the fear of God cause us to pay attention. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Manasseh, wicked, bad, evil, bad Manasseh, humbled himself and repented and went, I've been wicked, bad, evil, really bad. So sorry, God. I recognize, oh God, have mercy on me. Forgive me for my sin. I'm so sorry. And in humbling himself, and he received the mercy of God and God restored the kingdom to him. And then for the rest of his days, he lived in the fear of God and he said everything right. He got all of the nation worshipping God again. He took down all the idols. He was a really good king. And I, I look at the two lives of the father and the son and I think, who did better? Now, certainly Hezekiah lived a wonderful life, but then he ended badly. Manasseh lived the worst of the worst lives, but he ended well. You can take comfort, you know, that if God can forgive Manasseh under an old covenant, 
what will he do for you? If God can forgive Manasseh and restore the kingdom to him, what can he do for you? You go on then and you see Manasseh's son is so wicked, his servants kill him. And then the next one is Josiah, Manasseh's grandson. And Josiah, he was one of the best of the best. Such a good king. Came to the, the um, throne when he was only eight years old, but walked in righteousness. And they finally, they found as he was doing his best to try and follow God they, and they were cleaning up the temple, they found the word of God. And when he had it read to him, he was so distraught at how they had not been living according to the ways of God that he tore his robes and he, he cried out to God and he had repented for the nation and he said everything right. This was, he was a magnificent king, magnificent. In fact, it, it says of Josiah that there were none like him uh, before or after. Such an amazing king. But then Josiah's life at the end, it's only 38, 39. The king Pharaoh is going off to war with another nation and he happens to encroach a little bit on Josiah's land. And so Josiah just decides to go to war with the Pharaoh. Probably had strategic reason. He didn't want Pharaoh connecting with the Assyrians or whatever. Strategically, it made sense, but he didn't actually consult the Lord about whether he should go or not. And in fact, Pharaoh sent message, a message and said, why, would, why go to war with me? God's, God sent me on this assignment. I'm not coming against you. Why would you come against me? And, you know, Josiah just said, no, nope. seems, seems right, seems strategically right. He goes out to battle and he dies. Even though he had a promise that he wouldn't die in war, that he would uh, be established, he, I believe he died early because he forgot the need that he had to remain walking in this fear of God where my life is not my own, but we do this together. I believe no matter how well you're doing, God is speaking to you today. Don't forget that you are not independent and all-sufficient. But remember that you are needy, that you are needy of your beloved. You are needy of the one who is wisdom himself. You are needy of God. It is not weak to acknowledge your need. It's humility. And when you humble yourself and recognize in the good times and the bad times, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. That was a prayer that David prayed. For me, I'm, I'm married. I've been married now 31 years. And I, I've got, I'm serious, I've just got the best husband. I'm so grateful. One day, I'll tell you the story about Tom. He's amazing. He's just an amazing man. But I, as a married woman... I'm not controlled by him, but I, if I don't, we're going to talk about where we're going out for dinner tonight. We'll, we'll talk about what we're going to do. Or if, if I get this invitation, I'll talk to him about it because we're one. We do things together. 
God is looking for a bride that isn't separate, that isn't over here that we, we ask occasionally when we get in trouble. He is looking for a relationship that is every day where you acknowledge him in all your ways. When you talk to him, that you, you, I'm not talking about being controlled by him. He doesn't want to control you. You don't need a, a vision from heaven to know what color clothes you're going to wear tomorrow, but he does want you acknowledging him in all of your ways, walking in a relationship that's healthy, where he, you know that he has empowered you, that he's given you wisdom and strength, but where you also recognize that I can't rely on any of my own wisdom or strength, that everything I, ha I have, I have from him, and I am reliant on him. He is my strength. In him I live and move and have my being, and together we'll go forth and walk in holy victory for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God never wants you to forget the one thing, the only thing that matters. I found you in the desert when I was by myself. I found you. I know who you are. And I'm going to hold on to you and I'm not going to let go.